Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today is Monday, July 20th. The NASDAQ is up, air travel is down for the first time since April, and we're focused on the future of restaurants. Today, the U.S. Senate will begin buckling down on the next federal stimulus. You might recall that the original stimulus from April totaled around $2 trillion, but a whole lot of that was predicated on a belief that we'd soon get a handle on the coronavirus. Sadly, we blew it, which means all sorts of businesses are facing dire situations once again. And perhaps no sector has been hit harder than independent non-chain restaurants. There's about half a million of them in the U.S., with one report estimating that 85% could go under by year-end if they don't soon get direct aid. The question now is if that sort of direct aid will be included in the new stimulus bill. One template for it could be something called the Restaurants Act, a $120 billion bipartisan bill introduced within both houses of Congress last month, but which has since languished. It's specifically targeted at independent restaurants that suffered year-over-year losses in 2020 and specifically prioritizes those with $1.5 million or less in annual revenue. So let's dig in deeper to the state of independent restaurants with two people who have been actively working to push the Restaurants Act into law. Ivy Mix, a renowned bartender who co-owns Leyenda in Brooklyn, and Steven Soderbergh, the Oscar-winning film director who owns spirit brand Singani 63. We're joined now by Steven Soderbergh and Ivy Mix. Ivy, let me start with you. Could you give me a sense on how the last couple of months have gone for your business? Are you open? Well, kind of. We were completely shut down for about six weeks. And now in New York City, we are able to do outdoor dining, socially distanced. So we're kind of open. Steven, before we came on, you were talking about how you just lost a couple of counts for your liquor brand. How do you view the state of restaurants and bars right now when you look at your clients? Well, it's really dire. That's why this new piece of legislation is so important for a brand like us. We typically start with the visionary independent accounts that are more adventurous and they're being hit the hardest because they're not part of larger chains. And so what I've witnessed from a brand standpoint is a really unprecedented, potentially catastrophic shutdown that if we don't get some funds infused soon, is going to be very difficult for these smaller accounts to crawl out from under. People like Ivy, this is their life's work. They've put everything into these places for years on end, and they don't have the margins to survive. There was the first round, there was the PPP, which restaurants and bars were able to apply for and many got. Then there was this Restaurant Relief Act, which got introduced in June, but has kind of languished since then. Are you more or less optimistic today than you were, say, a month ago about this bill becoming law in some form? I'm more optimistic, I have to say. So I am 
on the independent restaurant coalition. I'm on the uh, leadership and advisory board and my job on the advisory board is really kind of represent bars. I've done a lot of talking, you know, <laughs> to a lot of different politicians. You know, I think it's hilarious how we end up in life in different places. And, you know, my career in the bar world has taken me many places. I'm an author now. I recently wrote a book. I own a bar. I travel over the world. And now I'm talking to people like Yvette Clark and Senator Schumer. I'm talking to him tomorrow. And what's unfortunate is that things that should seem really, really simple are now can be perceived as being a partisan issue. So that's a problem. But the thing that people just need to understand that no matter where you live in the country, you probably have your favorite restaurant. And independent restaurants are particularly in trouble, just like Stephen was saying, because we don't have the backers to back us up. We don't have like Ruth Chris to just like infiltrate us with money if things go down. You know, my business, we are a $1.5 million a year business on a good year. And we're running at like 40% right now. Can you turn a profit at 40%? Not really. The analogy I keep on saying is it's like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Without additional help from our federal government, no, I don't think we'll be able to survive. I've used the term Band-Aid. Let me ask the Band-Aid thing vis-a-vis this bill specifically. If this $120 billion was all allocated, how long do you feel it would last, particularly given that we are in, whether you want to call it a prolonged first wave or a second wave, however you want to define it, we are clearly at best months away from a vaccine. How long would this 120 last until restaurants and bars would have to come back and say, we're out of money again? Well, that's a good question. Unfortunately, it really is driven by what the virus does over the next three to four months. There's a good version where people sort of wake up and realize that we've all got to adhere to these guidelines to keep each other safe. Or if it continues to sort of spread out and pop up here and there over the next four to six months, that money will run out pretty quickly and it won't be just this industry. So in a best case scenario, it seems to me this money would last. You'd look for it to give you six months, but it really depends on what happens with COVID. Just to add on to that, some money, I mean money as a grant, not money as a loan, is indispensable to our industry. And it's not just me as a bar owner, bar restaurant owner. When my business goes down, this is why we're here. Steven's business goes down. It's not just me. It's the guy who's my butcher. It's not just me. It's the guy or woman growing my lettuce. It's not just me. It's all these different people. The trickle-down effect of restaurants is one of the largest distributors of money and cash in our country. And we need the money. But the unique thing about giving it to independent bars and restaurants is we have a better capability of dispersing that money afterwards. When you talk about those suppliers, have you started to see some of your suppliers go out of business? Well, you know, it's funny. My mint person, my mint supply is down. I know that sounds like a weird thing to care about, but a place like Leyenda, my bar, we make mojitos. It's a popular item. And we have to find a new person. If you have a business that relies on restaurants and bars selling your product, you are in trouble. At the pork processing plants, they are just killing pigs, letting them die and rot because people are not buying them. 
Stephen, final question for you. I just want to pivot a little bit because I happen to have you here. And I'm curious, are there parallels that you see? You know, there's this restaurant bill. There is not, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, a similar bill for, say, the film and TV industry. Do you see parallels here? Because clearly that's another industry that, for the most part, has been completely put on hold. The most obvious and hardest hit aspect of my other job has been theater exhibition. That's really what everybody's trying to figure out. They're completely shuttered for all intents and purposes now. There is no version of the theatrical exhibition business that can function at even 50% capacity. That's just not an economic model that's going to work. So I would think any discussion, if it comes up about assisting the entertainment industry, which I think politically would be a really difficult thing to put over, would have to center first and foremost on theatrical exhibition and keeping some of these chains and independence from going down. Talk about the horizon that recedes as you approach it. There's just no glimmer right now of hope about when we're going to be able to get people back in theaters and numbers. It's pretty grim. Steven Soderbergh, Ivy Mix, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Mark Zuckerberg. And no, I'm not talking about sunscreen gate. Instead, I'm talking about how the Facebook CEO is pushing back against theorizing that he struck some sort of special deal with President Trump when the two met for dinner late last year. He tells Axios, quote, the whole idea of a deal is pretty ridiculous, end quote, adding that he accepted Trump's invite just as he's accepted invites from President Obama and other world leaders. So why make a statement now? One reason may be that Zuckerberg and his fellow big tech CEOs soon will be testifying in front of a House antitrust committee, which is controlled by Democrats. Last, we wanted to take a moment to remember Congressman and civil rights icon John Lewis, who passed away last Friday night. One of the people who knew Lewis best was Tom Houck, an Atlanta civil rights leader in his own right, who once served as Martin Luther King Jr.'s driver and who currently is founder of Civil Rights Tours Atlanta. We asked Hauk to share some of his recent memories of Lewis during a conversation earlier today. We talked nearly every day since 1965. We went to baseball games and football games together, and naturally we gossiped, and he loved to gossip. We would sit and talk on the phone for hours just talking about different people, different things, different current events, and so forth. I used to always kid him because Time Magazine named him back in 1986, I believe, a living saint. I thought that John would live forever. I never thought there would be a moment that uh, I would wake up in the morning uh, or late at night and, and not hear his voice on my phone. It's something that right now, my phone, I say, gosh, I'm not going to be able to talk to John. But I mean, what he did, personally, John comes along once in a millennium three major generals of the civil rights movement, Joseph Lowry and C.T. Vivian and John Lewis passed. But what they did is they really let, I guess, put together a framework for the future. And I think that uh, the new generation, the absolutely remarkable scenes that we've seen in this country since uh, the death of uh, George Floyd has absolutely regenerated the kind of movement that we really didn't even have in the 60s. And I think that they're beginning to see and step up. I think they're stepping up into leadership. These 24 and 25 and 20-year-old kids. You know, John was only 23 years old when he spoke at the March on Washington. Tom Houck, thank you very much for joining us this morning and very sorry for your loss. 
You can listen to my entire conversation with Tom Houck in a bonus episode that we just put into the feed. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national lollipop day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.